a Podcast One production. Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, the podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. My first car was a second-hand hatchback. It was a terrible car. It overheated constantly. I'd have to keep a steady supply of water on hand to top up the coolant, sometimes even having to pull over and do it in the middle of a highway as steam billowed from the bonnet and people drove past laughing. Eventually, this car wouldn't even drive when I put it in drive and I had to cruise around in third gear. Buying that car without checking for things wrong with it is enough of a failure, but I somehow made it worse. I didn't think to check if the engine worked or if the fan belt was okay or whatever other bits of a car that I don't understand were fine, but I did, however, check the cigarette lighter. I pushed it in and when it didn't look like it had lit up, I jammed my thumb into the lighter to check. There was a singeing sound. As I realised I burnt the hell out of my thumb, I said, guess it works then. My brother was sitting in the passenger seat at the time and I looked up from my already blistering thumb to see him, open-mouthed, both horrified and astounded at the level of stupidity he'd just witnessed. I think to him, it's a wonder that I can drive at all. In this episode, I'll be talking to media icon, presenter and actor Julia Zamiro about blowing auditions even when you know you've done your best. So I love Danish television. Mm-hmm. I love Danish TV. Uh, and a long time ago, I went out with a Danish guy for a little while who lived in France and got, that's how I got obsessed into Danish TV. Anyway, that broke up. But um, loved it. And then one bright day, SBS ring me to say, there's this gig happening at the Opera House for the Prince and Princess of Denmark and they'd like you and we'd like you to co-host with a Danish presenter uh, for this event. And I just went, sweet Jesus, yes. <laughs> Not into royalty that much, but yes, please. Now, this was a big awards event where every year the Prince and Princess give awards to Danish people doing interesting things around the world. Could be musicians, could be actors, could be whatever. And I'd seen a few of the tapes of it and gone, oh, well, that's an architect and that's a thing. And they came to Australia to do it, of course, in the Opera House, designed by Dane, Jörnutsen, to present these awards. Could not have been more excited. Met my co-host, an absolute dish, most good-looking, charming man, bilingual, beautiful, couldn't be happier. And um, I thought, God, I wonder who's going to win because they didn't tell us for a while. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing if it was the people from The Killing and Borgen? Two of the most amazing t- t- Danish TV shows. If you haven't seen them, go watch them. Mm-hmm. And it was. It was like the perfect of all the storms. I was sick with it. I was sick with it. <laughs> anyway, so excited. It's going to be at the Opera House. We have our first meeting. These amazing Danish uh, people from uh, uh, Danish TV come over. We're sitting there going, right, so how we'd like to start the show is you and Nikolai, my co-host, on top of the Opera House. I went, pardon? I said, I'd like you to get up on top of the opera house. I said, what, out, outside on the opera house, on the on the sales? Yep. I said, I can't do this. I'm out. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's insane. I'm not going to go get her in that way. Like, I, I'm like, I'm scared. I, I said, I, I, 
is this a, is this, can we, I, I mean, is this a no? Like if I can't do it, we can't. Well, put you off just the heights. Yeah, the, the yeah, heights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to do that climb three times before I could actually admit that I could do it. Anyway, I did it. I got up the top and I did it, but I nearly didn't because I was so terrified. But you did it anyway. I did. I did it amazing. And then at the end, the guy that took us up said, now you can get up on top of the Harbour Bridge. I went, you have clearly not listened to anything I've said for the last week in my panic. I shall never do this again. Fail! How would you describe what you do for a living? Hmm. I tend to write presenter because that's what's, that's been the, 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 the job of the last 10 years really and it's different versions of it. So with Rock Wiz, it's a fun, improvising type of uh, an MC. A home delivery, it's a no red lipstick, just wearing my normal clothes, ask a question but then shut up and wait for the answer and learn to listen better. Um, for Eurovision it was get amongst it, try out some languages, be a bit wacky. What's the difference between red lipstick gigs and not, not red lipstick gigs? Well, it's funny, I used to wear red lipstick in my 20s uh, a lot, I don't know, because I enjoyed it and I liked the look of it or whatever, and then I just sort of stopped. And then I'd gone through a period of unemployment and I remember thinking if by the time I reach 40, I haven't got the gig, I was about 37, if I don't get the next big gig before I'm 40, I think I'll call this a day. Because I just wasn't supporting, I wasn't making enough money to support myself. And I thought, well, I don't want to, I mean, I love waitressing, but I want to keep waitressing. I, I, then I'll just have to go back to uni and do something. Mm. And then Rockwiz came along. But with Rockwiz, the first series, we had no money at all. You know, we were filming the ESPY, but we were sort of, our dressing room was in the corridor, had a great makeup artist who I just kept saying, I want this, I want this. And, we, and we, I didn't really know what I wanted because I didn't know. But by the second series, a little bit more money, thanks SBS. Mm. And we've got a great makeup artist, a great um, wardrobe and costume designer, and we actually created a look. And the red lipstick was part of that. You know, I got my hair cut, a kind of a shaggy look, dyed it. And it was really helpful to be able to get out there and be sassy and be um, on stage. You know, I really do believe in putting stuff on to be on stage and that something, some outfits and some looks belong on stage and some just don't for me. And if the lipstick is off, I don't get recognised as much, which is good too, so that means you can get on and catch a train. And mm. But in home delivery, it's not about, you know, sassy clothes and high heels and it's about making as less of an impact and it's not disappearing exactly but just being of service to the other person and to the guest. And the surroundings. Mm. Sort of yeah. Yeah, so like I even... Like I, I won't wear jewellery. I, I don't want anything on any close-up people to be going, oh, that's a nice earring. I don't want them to be distracted by that. And not that I think that people are that, you know, you know, superficial. Not but that people are, but the media might be. You, know, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, so I just the less you have to look at, the better, and the more you're listening to the conversation, the better. And I, it's a lovely holiday from that. But when I get back on stage to Rockwiz, because we don't make the show for TV anymore but we tour every year, it's wonderful to get back into the stockings, into the high heels, you know, into the red lipstick, into the shaggy hair and live that persona. So that's describing two very different um, sort of strains of what you do. It's presentering, but it that, that's, that sort of doesn't do it justice. And I kind of want to know how you got into doing what you do. Like, what, like take me through um, from how you started to where you got to now. Um, there was no drama at high school, so you had to do it somewhere else. 
Uh, so did these fantastic Saturday classes and really loved. The best thing about that was not having to be who you were at school. Because I actually think it's about identity. You know, going to Saturday classes drama, I was with a new group of people who hadn't decided who I was yet and all loved acting. So you could muck around and have that fun. So it made going back to school, not that school was unbearable, but when you always had to just keep sort of, especially girls, it was all girls' school trying to work out what all the bloody alliances were. And um, at drama school, there was none of that. It was just so relaxing. So you knew that was your group. And so got to uni at Sydney and joined the Dramatic Society there, Suds, did lots of plays and just felt really comfortable, felt really seen, felt really capable. Capable. Uh, if your peers say you're good at something, you believe them. But it wasn't an accredited course. We were doing all that for fun. And then at one point everyone starts auditioning for acting schools. And auditioned for NIDA, got through to the second day and got to come back and then didn't get through. And I remember thinking, ah, interesting. And tried out for VCA as well a couple of years later. Didn't even get through the first sort of round and thought, oh, why is that? And I think it's really interesting when you, you know, fail at something or when you don't get through. You, I find it quite interesting to anal- overanalyse it and go, well, why? Why didn't? And sometimes there is no why. There just isn't. And I think the sooner you learn that about failing, the better, is that sometimes, and good agents will say this to you, it, it didn't go your way because of A, B and C, but you just have to concentrate on something else. You just got to forget it. It's just got to become part of, and I wonder if they teach this in, in acting schools now, but how to deflect the, 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 the lost opportunity or the, or the lost audition or the, the audition you didn't get. But the first big audition I had that I really spent quite a while preparing for was Totally Full Frontal. So they'd been fast forward, then it was Full Frontal, and then the last two years was, uh, three years was Totally Full Frontal. And I think all of us who love comedy want to do sketch comedy. That's the thing we love. You know, you know, you can do characters and accents and all that. And um, really, really prepared, like mm. to the point of, yeah, I just, you know, this this could be your one opportunity. So you had to prepare a couple of not three or four char- like um, impersonations of people. So one of them I think it was Yarn Event. I think I might have done Princess Die, um, you know, can't remember all them. And then your own work, if you'd written anything yourself. I thought, is it too daggy to go in with props? And I thought, stuff it. I'm no. going to take props. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I had my little bag of tricks with me, right? And I get to the audition in the, in the um, f- uh, you know, in the room there before you go in. And I could see other actors looking at me and going, oh, bless her. Look at that. She's got a bag of props with her. And I thought, no, no, I'm going to stand by this. Anyway, go in there and... Blew them away. Like, you know, when you go, this is the best. They were laughing, real laughing, not pretend laughing. And then we got into this discussion about, with one of the head writers saying, well, you know that you probably won't be able to do your own work, your own writing. I went, yeah, don't care. <laughs> don't care. Just want to get in. Like, no, but you really, if you write your own work, you probably won't be able to, because, you know, there's a lot to, I was going, yeah, I know. Well, that's all right. I'm happy to. And the, the conversation sort of went this weird way. So after having had this amazing audition, I left there and rang my agent and said, I think I just did the best audition ever where I was in there for half an hour and and then, but I don't think I'm going to get it. And I didn't indeed. And I guess the lesson for that was maybe 
well, you can't control it. But a year later when they asked me to do something else, I didn't have to audition again and I did this show for Foxtel and then eventually got full frontal in the long run. So all that hard work paid off but like a year later. I'm a slow burn. Everything I do is a slow burn, I think. Um, but, yeah, I remember just thinking I literally did the best audition I could, so what are you going to do? And, you know, uh, Gabby Milgate was a new person that got the gig and, and she rang me she said, did you get in? I went, no. And she went, I did. I went, no. But luckily <laughs> I got to be able to do it the following year and, and, and work with her. Um, Dana Reed, who now is an incredible director, did yeah. Handmaid's Tale and has done mm. so many. She was just there for one more year and they didn't need, I mean, they could have had more women obviously, but they just didn't need another person who could be generic woman doing lots of different characters. And you still continue working. You still continue doing your things. But I thought I will not underestimate I will not regret the time and the preparation I put into it because that's who I am and that's how I do the job and I could not have been more prepared. You'll never go, oh, that was a waste of time. No. Yeah. Yeah. That control thing's come up a few times. Mm. Speaking with people for this podcast, I get some type of personalities that are like, well, I just have to learn not that I can't control everything. And I get some that just go, oh, yeah, well, you can't control it, so mm. it doesn't matter. Mm. But ultimately the conclusion is the same. If you can't control it, why agonise mm. over what could and couldn't have been? What does that feel like, that feeling of trying to trying to chase it and trying to keep busy in, in order to get that goal? Because you've set yourself this goal. What does that feel like, just being in that moment? Well, I can't say I was unhappy. Right. Like I can't say I was, I had a nice little flat that I could afford to pay rent on and, you know, I was doing gigs here and there and I was teaching kids and adults drama and um, I didn't have, you know, family pressure on me to be different or do something different. My parents are pretty free about that. I didn't have kids or anyone relying on me. Um and I guess there's always that thing, isn't it, where you think, well, can you be 37 and be living this life? That's not very grown up. But I was being very grown up. I wasn't, you know, I was looking after myself. I was healthy. I was doing the right thing. But it was more when's this time going to come? And I'd auditioned for lots of TV hosting jobs. I've had like weird ones, dating and dogs doing tricks and, oh, I mean, terrible things. And then this music one came along and it was Rockwiz and, you know, did all my homework on it read every beat magazine I could find on the street in case they were going to ask me anything about what's out there at the moment. And, <laughs> but I think that feeling is there isn't just that. There's got to be other things like you enjoy where you live or you've got nice friends or I think it's the comparison, that old comparison thing is that, th you know, comparison is a thief of joy. I just, I, I'm not very, I, would, I was never very um, super social with other people all the time to feel like I wasn't doing what she was doing or what he was doing or that, I find that stressful and I and, and completely unhelpful. Yeah, I agree. To hear that, to be part of the group, to hear what everyone, to see, hear what's going on and, and what other people are doing. I mean, for some people it forces them and it drives them to do better. I get that. But I have, I've, I really wasn't, I was born without FOMO. I don't have the fear of missing out thing at all. What's that thing you said? Comparison's the what? The thief of thief joy. Thief of joy, that's good. I mean, it's one of those kind of, you know, inspirational quotes, but it's kind of true. It's like, it'll happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but if you're constantly thinking about it, I mean, joy just goes. Yeah. 
And well, that's I, what Instagram does now with everybody. Yeah. yeah. Everybody uh, and Facebook, I'll look at what that person got and that what that person got when that mm. person has constant, constant, constant comparison. You mm. can't escape. And, you know, if that's your definition of failure too, like what's failing? Failing is, it's lots of, but really it's about failing in the eyes of society or your family or your friends or the world. You haven't you haven't matched something that maybe even someone else wants, maybe not even you. Oh, really? Wow. Fail, you know, be annoyed at failing an audition because you didn't prepare, sure. But if you did prepare, that was a successful audition. It just didn't get me the job. Well, I I did the bloody best I could do. I mean, you couldn't have done, I couldn't have been more. And they said that to me later that I... I knew that and that was good too to go there but we just didn't have room for you really and I never got to the bottom of the why they were so, you won't be able to perform your your own stuff and indeed I never did much really. But being different characters was work enough, you know, learning to do other people's things. I find great joy making other people's writing come to life. Rockwiz, Home Delivery, Eurovision were all presented to me as this is the space we want you to fill and you could fill it. And I guess I'm writing or improvising or creating as I go, being that that that, that host. But I do know that um, in terms of writing my own material or or of that, part of me doesn't want to because I feel like I feel like there's so little privacy as there is that I anything I have that I really want to share, I'm just going to be really careful how I share it. So I don't particularly want to write about me or do a one-woman show or write about my feelings or write about my history because it's not just your history, it's everybody else's. I love watching other people do it, but that's not my creative bent. And every time I do write something for someone, people go, oh, you write really well, you should... And look, I, want, I, w- I was once offered a book deal and I kept turning it down saying, I don't have anything to say. I really don't have anything to say. And then I sort of went, all right, I'll do it. And I, it all just became work. And I didn't want it to be work. I wanted it to either be, you've got something you've got to get out and there's a driving force. And then they very sweetly let me out of it because I just went, there's so many other people out there you should be publishing. I'm not one of them. I don't believe in jumping on the publishing bandwagon because you're a performer either. And I know a lot of people do it. I won't be writing a children's book um, and I won't be writing my story. And I'm not a stand-up comedian who actually has gags in that way. Um, I'm someone who can be funny, but I need to be in a in a long-form situation to do that, to show that off. But um, But I think I quite enjoy looking at something and going, well, what can I do with it? but you better let me do what I want with it. Um, one day I might write something, but mm. Mm. but I haven't, I, I reflect on that sometimes how I, you know, I, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people, they write stuff that is for them, about them, and, and I haven't done that and I feel like I don't have the drive that I might have had in my 20s and 30s to do that. I guess, I mean, it doesn't sound like you've had this lowest, this low point that a lot of other people have gone through, but, like, do, I mean, it, how would you, do? did you have a low point and how would you describe it? I would say it? my low point is I don't have children. I would say my low point is, and, I, and you know, I'm, I'm resolved to it and I'm fine about it, but I think I never, I think I sort of never 
found the way or did I wasn't chasing it. And, you know, I'd have relationships and stuff, but I guess it's like I never got the memo that you have to, I didn't accidentally get pregnant, I didn't accidentally, but I never got the memo that goes, oh, you know, this, this, there's a time where this kind of ends and you've probably got to get on with it. And, and the right, you know, person didn't present themselves and it didn't work out for a bunch of reasons. So I think when you see that that's not going to happen, you do throw yourself into work. And that does become a, a solace in a way or it becomes something that you are creative in. But now, you know, I've got a, a wonderful stepsister and she's got kids and, uh, you know, I'm a godmom and, a, and an auntie and all that. And they'll be my little chickens to sort of, you know, have fun with and, and, and you know, auntie, not parent, but auntie in that way. Um, but I think, I think the low point is, is that, is this is the personal side of going, oh, yeah, I didn't do that. But could I have done everything else? Well, I can see that, yes, a lot of people do. But in terms of the performing, the performing, it's just, it's never let me down really because more often than not, you're with terrific people. And I, I, I mean, if I, if I was in a project with people I didn't like, when it ended, I would not go back. Like I, I just... I'm very self-protective in that way. Mm. If you make me feel bad, I'm just not going to hang around. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a while to extricate yourself from that. But you just um want to realize it's even happening sometimes and then you you, you totally. Go, oh, hold on a second. That's not right. Totally. The on the children thing, like even if you find someone, it's not guaranteed. Mm. I'm I'm literally on the tail end. I, I feel I feel I can I can talk about this now. And we should talk more about it because the reason I was feeling so crap for so long was nobody talks about it. I'm on the tail end of a miscarriage right now, uh. and nobody was talking. Nobody talks about it. And the, but the the more people I mentioned to privately say, "Oh yes, that happened to my me. It happened mm. to my sister. Happened to mm. my friend." And it just sounds like it happens all the time, which mm. I didn't know. So I feel okay about it now. But even if you've got someone. It's still a little bit getting on the later side for me, but even then it's not a guarantee. This mm. could keep on happening either way. Mm. So it's that thing of like, well, accepting what I've made for myself in every respect, don't mm. you think? Yeah. Or- yeah. I look, I, I, and I think too, firstly, on the idea of talking more about things like miscarriage, mm. talking about menopause, which isn't as dramatic at all, but I, I think it's all in that. But all on that idea yeah. of, and we're talking more about things that we would never have spoken of ever. But again, with something like miscarriage, because it's a deep loss, mm. and much like any and death itself, no matter when it comes, we still don't know how to talk about those things amongst people that we think we trust and know and love. Mm. Let alone, you know, as a topic of conversation. But I also think you need to choose the people you talk about certain things with. Mm. I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer of the Oprah style of confession of of if I tell everyone more people know my story the better and if I only help one person. Sometimes the person you really need to help is you. Yeah, that's true. And I just feel there's a lot of I, I, I put a lot of stock in by all means we should talk about these things more, but sometimes you're not in the place to share it in such a big way. Mm. And you you you'll might find the one or two people you can talk about it with that's enough. Yeah. Because sometimes it's good to, because then people will keep reminding you of it when maybe you're past that moment now and you want to walk away from that moment and you want to choose when. So going to work every day knowing something terrible is happening in your life, sometimes you want to just forget it for a while. Mm. But you know that there's that girl that works downstairs on the second floor that you will meet up later with and talk with. 
and get it out of your system and then come back to work and go, I'm just going to forget that feeling for a while yeah. because we do need to get back on the track. We all need a little bit of a distraction mm. from those terrible things. Um, you know, if you've got someone who's, who's ill with something or, or, you know, an impending death in the family or whatever it might be, it's just not possible to live with it all the time. No. So I think, yeah, those hard times, I mean, look, also too, I'm a great believer in good friends. Family can't always bring you what you need and want, but good friends can and you start to figure out the ones that, you know, and you've got to learn how to exchange those ideas with people and go, is it okay if I talk about this now? And, you know, mm. and, and other great, a couple of great friends I've got who've talked me through, you know, wanting babies, not having them, whatever's happening. But I guess it's not that I feel like by not having children I've failed. No. But I do feel like it's a, it's a thing that women can do that's pretty amazing and I wonder what it would have been like. But I also know that mm, I really have found myself amongst people that have always made me feel good, who have not tried to bring me down. I think if you're constantly surrounded by people who are making you feel like shit, well, of course you're going to feel terrible. But, like, again, I would rather be on my own and I will always be happy on my own. Doesn't mm. mean I don't get lonely occasionally. But um but yeah, no, I just You have connection when you need it. Yeah. And you've got to be careful of that too, sometimes as an only child, because you can sometimes go, I haven't connected enough and I now I expect someone to to connect with me. So I made a conscious decision about six years ago to be more there for the five friends that mean the most to me. Um and it's been great. Yeah, it's been course. great because, yeah, I, I, I wasn't doing it enough, I don't think. And I think, yeah, I, it, it was just a different thing to working. I, th- I think I think when you work you're doing something useful and I realised oh, being around for a friend is extremely useful also. But also it's also fun. You've got to have fun. Sometimes work isn't always fun but you enjoy it because you know how to do it. Mm. You sound as if you don't do that performer thing of basing your entire identity on work, you know, and and that you realise there is value in community, in relationships, in connection, mm. and rather than just who I am in my job, in my career. Because mm. that, that, that drove me nuts until I realised, oh, my God, my entire self-worth is based mm. in what I'm doing for a living right now. And look, you know, it's a bit hard not to because, you know, when you come out of acting school or even if you haven't been, but when you present yourself for an audition and you walk into a room and there's eight other women who look a little bit like you and have a similar timbre of humour or voice or whatever to you, of course there's going to be an element of comparison. I'm not saying. But I think that um, I would always treat it as a job. It took me a couple of years, but by my mid-20s I understood that the audition can't be the one thing you do all day. You've got to do lots of other things. Yeah, yeah. And so I'd go to the post office when we used to go to the post office, um, you know, go shopping, meet a friend for coffee, go and do something, do a yoga class, anything, everything that makes you a human um, and not obsess about anything. Now, some people who obsess about work become Hollywood stars and that is fair enough because that's a sort of I don't have that mongrel in me at all. Um, never wanted to conquer any world, but very happy with what I have. But um, but I understand that there may be a place for that, certainly. But that's not my um, personality. 
it's been amazing. It's been Lovely. amazing to interview you. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me and recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes of Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, download the Podcast One app or look me up on Apple Podcasts.